Welcome to Talk About. On Talk About, our goal is to sit down with open-minded people for open and honest discussion. No judgment, no hidden agenda, just getting the conversation started. This week we sit down with comedian JP Nathan. In this amazing open chat, we discuss a number of topics, such as social media and its relationship to comedy, JP's new book, and we even explore some conspiracy theories. Sit back and enjoy the show. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. There you go. Awesome. Right. JP Nathan. Oh my God. So this is awesome because I'll get us kicked off and then we'll just, we'll just slip into this conversation. Uh, you had sent me a message uh, on Facebook a few, a few months ago and you had yeah. uh, sent me a link. Yeah. You sent me a link to your book and you're like, Hey, you know what you should do is you should get this book and you should read it to Neil Rhodes over the phone. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, I thought that was a fucking great idea. I was like, no, 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 let's I'll do you one better, man. Let's get you on the podcast. Let's talk about this. And like, so we go back many years uh, back. Yeah, to, it's almost 20 years, 20 years, 19 years. It's it's kind of interesting, JP, because back in that time, we were all so damn young and stupid um, as as we all are. Oh, it feels like two minutes ago. <laughs> I might be just as stupid, slightly more practiced and refined. It's all, well, you know what I mean? Like, it's a joke, eh? How quick it goes by. It, time time is one of those things, man, that that I have a very interesting relationship with. You know, it's one of those things that can fly by in an instant and, and take sure. forever. Especially um, depending on the DMT you smoke, yeah. Oh, Jesus. I, I, I haven't gotten to that point, but I mean, you get into the shrooms and the acid and that's just, I mean. Well, it was DMT that really showed me. I mean, the dream cycle, you know how you go to sleep, your alarm wakes you up and then you hit snooze and you have an epic dream that feels like a three hour, two VHS tape movie. And then you wake up and it's only been two minutes. Yeah. Well, DMT is that, right? It's like a three minute trip. It feels like it's like this day or something. Mm -hmm. And it shows you that all that concept of time is just us attaching things to life well it's our own bodies and everything right wearing mm -hmm. out but the actual time itself there's no time things just exist or they don't because yeah 2003 doesn't seem that long ago and i've quit comedy for a bit uh, it's almost going to be eight years since i quit i'm going to i was supposed to go back when um all this stuff started happening i was supposed to go back may 2020 but it doesn't feel like eight years although i couldn't i've been trying to fit into sioux st marie culture like i quit my aim was to quit comedy and start a regular job and just go to regular life. It didn't work out that way for me. I actually do a lot better in comedy than I do in regular world. Why is that? And it also was a repeat of all the stupid stuff I ran away from to run away to do comedy, working construction jobs and listening to the bullshit. I'm going, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I ran away from this. This is what I was trying to run away from. This fucking bullshit. Was it, what was it about that life that did not appeal to you? About comedy? No, no, about the construction, the the initial runaway. Well, comedy, shit. what it was, is I got tired of the social media popularity contest. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I thought social media, when it when we all went to MySpace, like 2006, 2005, I thought, oh, this is great, you know, like, because, you know, before that, you had to rely on the clubs to give you promo. And they promoted us as all one big lump comedian, right? And so I thought, well, this would be great. I can get my specific brand of comedy out to people. I can connect with the crowd I want to show up at the show. It didn't really work out that way. And, and what it, what it's turned into is just a treadmill. 
and you know what's popular online like see this halloween toy yeah this this thing gets more hits on its profile on tiktok than i could ever get on all of my youtube whatever else i have yeah like it's all it's also it's like a joke online the random stuff that gets clicks the little kids around here get more clicks than i do so you know i got kind of sick of the treadmill and to be honest i think it's killed some famous comedians i think it's part of the wear and tear that we've seen on some of the people that have killed themselves Mm -hmm. and uh i just said you know what fuck it i don't want to do this i want to rely on my i'm not i've never been a popular person so I don't want to rely on popularity to get me the next gig. So I thought, fuck it, I'm going to go join the regular ranks of life. But then it was like a total circle. It was like, oh, yeah, this is why I ran from this before. And why I hate it is just, the, you know, it's just it's what you would expect from a construction site. They're racist. <laughs> and, and, and the tyranny, like you're either bossed or you're the boss. So you're either the tyrant or you're the one that's living in the tyranny. And, you know, that's I grew up on construction sites, you know, like the old man was the tyrant. Right. And that's the best I can see you doing is you get to a point where you get to be the tyrant. I've noticed now my friends, you know, the ones that work at the plant and whatever else. Now that we're like 42, 43 years old, they've become the tyrants. They've become the ones. And when we first started working, you know, you hear them complain about the foreman. Well, now they are the tyrant. So this spring, uh, I'm going to do a run out west. Now we'll see how this all goes, but it's interesting that you, you brought up the social media and how you feel it's, it's literally killing uh, comedians because, you know, back in the day it was, it was obviously drugs and substance, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's still on the list, but sure. now you have this. So I just think that, you know, because at at first it was Twitter and all that was sort of sold as, well, you know, you can put your first draft stuff up there and try out stuff. People get, people don't understand that they want solid material on there all the time or they judge you and like judge you like like you're bombing on on, in a a set so it's just one more thing it's become it's it's just more wear and tear and then this whole thing with the hive mentality these people who have nothing going on in their life now they control you put it to you this way i remember before all that stuff happened there was a website called torontocomedy.com and it was like where everyone hung out and i stayed clear of that I would hear the gossip all the time to me, putting my name and my comments on a comment board was like the equivalent of like an old person who spends all day on CNN comment chat boards and also plus once you're there, you're a target, like you're putting yourself up there and now you have some, now you're a dartboard, whatever you said, you know, and it's all first draft. You're not going to sit there and draft your ideas and put your best foot forward it's always the stuff, you know, who was it, Thorough or somebody said, wait till Monday before you send the letter. Forget one of those American thinkers from the 19th century. We yeah. don't get to do that on this. So, you know, someone will come back at you. Well, look what happened to, uh, what's his face there? Who's the dude? Uh, Hart, Kevin Hart. Mm. Some crappy joke he made. 2009 came back and haunted him. Meanwhile, yeah. the guy's like Mr. Perfection. It's, it's so fascinating, right? Because you know this uh, way better than I do, but I got a glimpse of it. Just the fact that these, these jokes and bits and sets take so much time to evolve them that you don't, you don't often end up where you started. That's not oh, the way no, ideas yeah. work, yeah. right? Yeah. So if you're, if you're putting that out there, that's like walking up to any venue and saying, I have an hour solid 
but it's all going to be fresh stuff that I'm going to try tonight because why the hell not? That doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and so you could probably tread water at best with that. Yeah. Yeah. So you may get the one paid gig out of it, but there's no way in hell you're going to get return gigs out of that. That's well, so. And build an audience on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. First timelines and stuff like that. I mean, anything good too, I come up with, I'm not going to post it on Facebook. I'm not very popular on there because, you know, my friends have said to me, they go, if I knew you just on Facebook or, or when I was on Twitter, which I, I'm not on there anymore, they said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, like you. And it's true. Like, cause I, I don't want to, I'll post up a couple of cute pics and stuff, but that's really what it's designed for. It's designed for cute pics and real like kitschy stuff. I think that what it is, is they want us to be like gift shop entertainment. You know how you would pick up the little toy, kiss me, I'm Irish and the, you know, instant charm, shallow crap, crapola, mm -hmm. really. It's like, that's what the TikTok is and all that, which is fine. I mean, but, you know, to fit a, you know, to think you're going to end up, that was the original thing, ending up like Dane Cook. Remember the Dane Cook thing with MySpace? Mm -hmm. That was, that was what sucked us all in. Russell Peters too, with his comedy now on YouTube. But, you know, what wasn't shared was they were both at it for 20 years. So there was there was going to be a click there anyways. It's just who was going to aid in that, right? Yeah, that's that whole uh, that's that whole illusion of twenty years and overnight success. Oh yeah, and like I said, the twenty years goes by yeah. like that. Yeah, my I started November two thousand is my first gig. It was at a Barry Yuck Yucks. We drove in a snowstorm. I did like this Andy Kaufman horrible thing. I put a chicken mask on. And I was against the Grand Colonel of the KKKFC. There was this big like monologue. It was so bad and it bombed horribly. And it was back when Amateur Nights got a good crowd. Okay. And it just tanked, tanked. We, we almost got killed driving to it too. The snowstorm, of course. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to York. So I did a couple more sets. And I went, oh my God, I thought I was going to be click, click with this stand up stuff, but it's super hard. I don't think anyone really click, click like, it's pretty much everybody works at it. Who's good at it. It wasn't until maybe six months later, June, 2001, I started to like really go at it. And then I quit again for 2002 and then went back at it 2003. And then that's when we met there. We Einstein and Tommy cooks is where I met you guys. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Tommy cooks and the, those amateur nights and those open mics were, um, I, I don't know how the hell you guys did it. I mean, to, to go up you there. Get drunk. Yeah. Yeah. I, Once I, mean, I figured out to get drunk, it became way more fun. I remember I ended up, I ended up with this, with these girls at, at, at the end of the show, I got in a car with them and there was some biker guy and I was drunk and lippy and he's like sitting in the back and he starts like losing it on me. Shut the fuck up. Shut up. I said, you know what? I think I'm going to leave. And they're like, well, where are we going to drop you? Just pull the car over. Just drop me off. I was like somewhere almost on the Danforth. I had to like hoof it back up to Morningside. Oh my God. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like middle of the night in a snowstorm just to get away from this biker guy that was losing it. I was on antidepressants then. So what they did to me for a lot for, you know, a lot of things they do. But one thing they did to me, why I stopped taking them was they like, I have fearlessness in ways down pat. I don't need help. They made me even more fearless so I was hanging out with just like Satan after the show. Just like, oh, my buddy Satan's here. And I noticed that like at the end of the year who I was hanging out with and I'm going, 
yeah, you know what? Maybe I should get off these pills. But it was a lot of fear mongering. They're like going, they're going, oh, you can't just go off some cold turkey. You're going to end up with this and that. And it, which is true. You do have uh, side effects from it. But uh, yeah, those were some crazy times. I lived in a, at that time, I lived in a basement in uh, Melbourne, underneath right. a lady that did daycare during the day in her house. So you were living in a house where daycare was actually. Yeah, it was operating. a guy I worked with at a call center in Sault Ste. Marie. He moved down there and he moved in with his friend and his mom. And then he let me stay at his, in his bed for a night when I first got down there to go look for a place. And then I ended up just staying in his bed for two years. I paid her. The rent was $200. And when we decided on the rent, I borrowed $50 off of her and promised to pay her the rent later. Did you, ever pay, did you ever pay it? I would I did, yeah. I would backlog the rent though. So it's like months to go by. So I basically just I had that. I don't know if you ever seen the car I had back then. I had this white 89 Pontiac Sunbird. Oh, I do remember that, yes. Yeah. So I would drive around with that and do like countless open mics, which by the way are painful. Like a lot of people don't get past that stage, which is sad because the fun stage is next, is like when you get to do clubs and that. I don't even like doing open mics now, like, you know, because I, I remember back then seeing people who got to get, they got to do paid gigs, they would come out and they would try out jokes. I don't even like doing that now, like open mics are just painful. And then you add in all that weird, creepy, I don't even want to call it politically correctness, because that was years ago. This is some other corporate, woke, creepy shit that's been going on in the last six years or so. You add in all that. It's like, it's probably better to just take your chances on a real show. Yeah, these days are so different in terms of, of everything. Like, you know, putting yourself out there, any ideas, any thoughts, you know, and, and comedy is no different. And, you know, you see it, you could even see it in mainstream comedy uh, to a degree, but anything mainstream is going to follow, you know, the, the masses. How, how do you see this market? Like you're going to, you're thinking about going out, you're going out again in the spring. Yeah. How the hell do you approach it this time around as opposed to 15 years ago? Oh, it's no different. I mean, it's the same. It's the same. It's just different things going on. Back then we had awful things going on, but everybody was ignoring it. Hmm. Like at that time they launched a war on Iraq, which was like already just got their asses kicked 10 years before it was an illegal war. And they blamed it on 911. And I'm watching everybody be apathetic about it. So it was still bad. And there's George Bush, which was funny because no one seemed to notice how bad he was compared to how much they noticed how Trump was bad. Mm -hmm. Do you notice how that worked? And then mm -hmm. they would trot out Bush like, oh, here was a good president. And I was like, what? But I, I don't know. Like, we'll see how the crowd reacts. The last time I did a set was like 2019, I think it was. And I lost it on some some woman in the crowd. And someone taped it as blackmail. Like, remember that Me Too stuff was happening? Mm -hmm. So it was, look how he treats women. I got, and the guy says to me, the guy who was working there, I got this on tape. I'm not giving it back to you. And uh, if I have to, I'll use it against you. Because I, it was one of these non-clever comedy moments where I was just like, "Fuck you, you fucking bitch." Oh, no. She kept go. She kept saying "next" through my stuff. She's a nurse, and by the way, nurses have become like police officers in the last little bit. I don't know if you noticed that. Mm -hmm. Remember how police officers was the? There are heroes. Mm -hmm. They were the same like alpha male assholes, but now they're heroes. 
Yeah. This is a little bit before the COVID, but she, but in this town, nursing is like one of the last jobs, eh? Oh, so okay. it's like she's got she had this real hectoring attitude and she's going next. And she had she had a mimbo for a boyfriend with her. Guy had a backwards hat and was 10 years younger. So she's just doing everything that her dads did. <laughs> you know, like and then she tried to come up and make up with me all good set doing that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So she thought she but I don't, I don't know. That was my last that was my last thing with it. But they uh We'll see. Like, I'll, I, I, I wonder how this COVID, like, I have some stuff. I'm probably going to have some stuff on the COVID. So I wonder how the crowd's going to react. Cause I'm kind of skeptical of the vax information we're getting. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the vaccines themselves, but just how they're presenting it, how they're mm-hmm. forcing us to get, take the vax with the passports. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with the passport system. And, uh, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to this that, you know, I have my own thoughts on, and I wonder how that's going to go. Who knows? I don't want it because it go either way. You can go. I have the conspiracy nuts that are like, yeah, Bill Gates is trying to control your soul. And then you have the other people that are like neurotic and they're like, what about the children? What about our, you know, all that stuff? Well, the thing that I always liked about your comedy is that you're, I don't want to use the word controversial just because it, it's such an, it's, it's such an easy scapegoat. I always found that your comedy was actually really high level. Now you didn't make any bones about how you presented your ideas, which I think is what rubs people the wrong way at times from what I could observe, but you were always high level thinking. So even if you're presenting an idea that's controversial, it's still an interesting thought pattern. So I want to know what your thought pattern is on, on this vaccination stuff right now. Like what, what are your thoughts and feelings on it? Well, thank you, Chris. Thanks for the high level thing. This <laughs> high level wrapped in fisting and dick jokes at the gigs we were at. If you, at Kramer's, if you could... <laughs> Kramer's and T cooks and Oh my God. You know, like the crowds that show that really showed me like where most people are at, which is sad, you know, like it, we're peasants. Right. And it's just like, some of us act like peasants. Well, most of us act like peasants and some of us don't. Right. But we're all like, we're all still peasants. And then, you know, like you would, I would do uh, a rack material and it'd be like, no one would even know what the hell's going on. I remember a British girl at the end of a show, hanging out with her. She goes, Oh, we all know it's about oil. And I said, well, you'd be surprised how many people don't actually even think about it. Meanwhile, we talk about how evil the Nazis are on the history channel how they attack countries on lies. And here we are attacking a defenseless country. It's like, at least the Nazis attack France. We're attacking like a fourth world country, you know, and Canada was involved in that, by the way. Remember Andrew Evans? Mm -hmm. Andrew Evans' father was in the Navy and he was talking about how he was working on the supply lines for that war. So we were involved. But uh, my thoughts on this is that I'm not sure what's going on. You know, my conspiracy friends are saying it's all part of a plan. I just see that, I think what it is, is based on what I've what I've studied in the last 40, uh, I don't know, I guess I've been studying comedy or uh, comedy, sorry, politics for 30 years. And, you know, like and you were into banking and stuff. So you kind of have an understanding from like how it changed from 1980 on to where we are now, mm-hmm. where they where they cut a lot of these programs down. They actually cut our pandemic responses and down in the States, it's completely bare bones, right? That's why Trump was able to pit the feds against the states, right? Let the states take care of it because 
everything's been cut, you know, like the CDC, a lot of it's been cut. So I, I, I think that they, they wanted to privatize it all, which is why they've handed it all off to Pfizer and Moderna and, you know, at the beginning AstraZeneca and these big companies, right? Bill Gates, he, he uh, has stock in AstraZeneca, you know, and then with Tedros, they're from the WHO. He's a board member of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So when it gets higher up, it's all ancestral, which is where all these conspiracy theories come from, right? So I think that what it is is just really, I mean, the long-winded way of saying it's a big colossal fuck-up. You know, I, I, I seen they wanted to kind of do this with the swine flu. And by the way, I had a friend that died of swine flu in 2009. I was making fun of it as, as alarmist. But there was consequences to it, you know, there, but we would not, you know, it's, it's, it's the point now where if the next, the next one that comes, well, not if it will come, if it has a lethality that's beyond COVID, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to die right off the bat because they don't trust the government. It's sad. That's the beginning of, of chaos when we don't trust our institutions and we assume they're up to something. That's some scary times. There's a reason why, you know, legit academic academics and people i read why they put the conspiracy people on another category because they're the people that are saying that's it fuck it we're all fucked and it's a cynical game and to the race to the bottom you know so i'm trying to keep it in the realm of you know we we've been cutting think we've been cutting while well, in the states they don't have health care which probably attributes to a lot of their numbers down there mm-hmm. they don't have a trust in their federal government they have less trust in the federal government down there we live in a border town and across the river from where we are smaller town 20,000 people still still called Sault Ste. Marie versus our 70,000 they've had 100 deaths and they have a vaccination rate that's very low you know and um, you know so that's a good example of what happens when you don't trust your the institutions so you know you have a lot of cutting and then when it comes down to it, when it's time to make a decision our politicians are just passing the buck on to health, you know, uh, public health people who a lot of them are careerists, you know, they're going to pick the the safest route, you know, for things. It's like, you know, you've, we've, we were old enough to have a number of doctors in our lives. I had a doctor when I was a kid who did not want me to play hockey. I played hockey for 11 years. He was this little Chinese man. And, you know, he was very not North American, which means he's smarter than us. We have our bonehead ways about us. And, one of them is hockey. My parents figured that it was safer than football for some stupid reason. But every answer, anytime we went and we I had an injury, every time it was quit hockey, quit hockey. You can get another opinion from a doctor that plays hockey. You'll have a different opinion. To me, the doctors that we get for this issue or this this pandemic is a lot of real safe neurotic doctors that are making the choices. You know, and, and then they... They don't want to. And then at the same time, the reaction is we're subsidizing Air Canada. You know, like all last fall, I've been watching the flights, low and high exposure flights or high exposures. And a lot of them are on the flights between here in Toronto or between here in the States. And it's like, do we not know that sitting in a non-ventilated Dash 8, oh, the telephone's ringing, Dash 8 was going to give, you know, was going to spray COVID when we have masks that according to a Danish study, you know, the surgical masks, they don't work for, for uh, virals. Virals are nano-sized. You know, we're wearing masks that they can penetrate, and we're sitting in airplanes, vaccinated or not, you're still going to catch it and spread it. 
you know, you're watching these things and then they just all double down on the vaccines. So yeah, I, that's, that's sort of my take on it. I think that, you know, we've been involved with this privatization drive for the last while. And I think this is a good example of how it's deadly. One of the things that has recently become a concern for me uh, amidst this Joe Rogan, uh, Neil Young conversation, which I'm sure you probably have some thoughts on as well. Yeah. I don't know what was said on Rogan's podcast. I know that the people that he had on there are credentialed uh, medical professionals in their, in their respected fields. The, the concern that I have is that any idea that is contrary to the mainstream belief is automatically considered dangerous. Yeah. And, and, and that, JP, that scares the fuck out of me. Well, you know what it is, too. You know how they keep it going with educated people? They say, well, you and I are smart, Chris. But what about those stupid people out there? You know, what about all the white trash, which is their favorite thing to target right now? You see how they're treating the truckers. The truckers are fighting for bathroom breaks. Like a lot of this is about that. But yeah, the the idea, and I'm convinced that it's an elitist tack they're taking, that we're all stupid because, you know, and down in the States, it's we didn't vote for the right president. They didn't vote for a very unpopular Hillary. Look how so it's one more example of how unwashed the masses are that we can't decide on our own, that we have to be told. You know, because, you know, I, I from my lay experience with science, science is messy. There's a lot of arguing back and forth on points. And if you read the Nature magazine, you'll you'll read there's scientists that have been involved in the MRNA research in the last since the what was the early 70s that they were researching it. And there's lots of quibbles on points, but they don't they want to clean up all that. And then they want to call it science. That's the part that's scary. They go, oh, you don't believe in science? like i believe in science but what this is is dictation you know it's what they the word is autocrat right and they were talking i read glenn greenwald was talking about how the past pandemics like the smallpox pandemic that hit new york in the last century and something else maybe cholera maybe in the 19th century they had they did the two approaches they did the stick approach that we're getting right now and then they had the more educational transparent approach and by the way, the stick approach they're doing, they never, never knows, they never admit to the mistakes they made. Like last year, the press in my town was, was advertising free giveaways. Like, oh, if you're vaccinated, life's back on for you. You can't catch or, 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 or uh, spread it when you're vaccinated. Here's a free trip to Nashville, a COVID hotspot in the United States. And then all of a sudden, when the numbers went up, as they predicted in December, because we're all going to go indoors, and this thing likes to spread indoors. They're saying, oh, it's all Omicron that did this. You know, they don't admit to mistakes, you know, and they that's but that was something they did before all this. That was that was part basically what they were before is what they're doing with this. You know, like and I watched the war on terror very closely. And a lot of it was this, too. Don't talk this way about it. Talk this way about it. And, you know, fear, fear, fear and give up your civil liberties out of fear. Fear has always been a big motivator, though, right? For those people who who control the narrative, it definitely works. I mean, yeah. what's what's the CEO that took over from for Fox News and and basically just he he basically altered news and the way it's presented uh, by not giving a fuck about actual facts. And, just and they're saying, all like that now. They're all uh, like there used and, to be some span between CNN and Fox, which isn't there anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is that that legitimate. As legitimate as it was, 
right? Or even illegitimate as people thought. Journalism that existed back in the day doesn't exist anymore with social media and 24 hour news cycles. So you don't have to go out there and prove what you're, what you're saying for the most part. And the people that do adhere to that, they get buried in the clickbait. Yeah. Well, it's all power now. It's right. You can have the facts, but do you have power? Then your facts are, you're just a peasant screaming in the wind out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a problem right now because they're, they're struggling to find a new business model. And so the big networks to tread water, because I mean, a lot of this Joe Rogan thing is about their numbers. They get 800,000 views or something like that on MSNBC and he gets 14 million for one of his podcasts. Yeah, they have, but they have a huge budget. His podcast is him and that guy in that room they have. I don't know Mm -hmm. if he rents that room or he bought that building. I'm not sure. His his overhead's low. Mm -hmm. But you look at Rachel Maddow and that stuff. They got high budget. So they, all they did is they switched to tabloid. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And they and they do this thing where they're your buddy. Oh, isn't he a piece of shit? Hey, eh? eh? but they're supposed to be objective. You know, Fox got in shit for that years ago because they were doing that. Like they were just clearly Republican channel. Right. Mm-hmm. And at least uh, CNN kind of pretended they were objective. But you knew, you know, all you had to do is look up. Time Warner gave something like nine hundred thousand to uh, Hillary's campaign. But these are all it's, it's just dirty. Like you shouldn't be in a business where you have where you have to give you news about presidents and you and you paid almost a million dollars for one of them to get in, which is well, the old dirt that we used to talk about 20 years ago. This new dirt now is about them finding a new uh, business plan. And there's been ideas floated about co-ops. And I have a book on it, but I don't know. It's It's creepy. You know, this was. The media was struggling at the time that Hitler took over Germany. So, you know, when you don't have anybody holding your feet, you know, the power has nobody around to hold them, to hold their feet to the fire. It just becomes a power game. It does. And, and the thing that's really interesting that I find is for all the bad things that social media is, and, and it is. And I think that that's already been researched and, and the data has already kind of come in on how how detrimental social media is uh, just on a regular basis. But one of the things that this internet phenom that seems to be sticking around has, has really opened up is platforms like this, like open form conversations with people who have taken the time to educate themselves or inform themselves about certain things and then having conversations. I watch a lot of Rogan and I, I'm not saying that he's right on every matter and I agree with everything he says. But one of the things that he does is just has conversations with people who are way more educated in their fields than he is. Yeah. And that, that's exactly what, what I emulate. It's, I, I'm going to talk to the people that actually have invested the time and effort and education if it's there into these topics. And then, you know what? Let's actually talk, uh, talk to other people who don't, see if we can come up with some fresh ideas as to the way things might be better and, and kind of go from there. Because at the end of the day, we, we know that the system that we live in now, JP, doesn't work on a lot of levels. It's, it's good for the most part, right? But it's not the best it can be banking being one of them food being another one all that stuff man there's a lot of room to grow but you need somebody to be able to upset the apple cart don't you yeah and growing is part of it i don't believe in the revolution thing you know that's the one thing jordan peterson is right about you know he talks about how people goes well revolution i don't think these people are ready for that it's crazy what revolution is i think if you just if we kind of turn back the clock on certain things i think even that 
you know, certain corporations would realize that they need a society to exist in. They can't just keep gobbling up everything and gobbling up profits and whatever else. There were certain things that they got right before, you know, back to a more social democratic society. Now, I don't know, you probably, you can't turn back time. It was, that was based on World War, post-World War II boom numbers. You know, the money was there to do that. But uh, as for Rogan, you know, I've, you know, I, he's, he's a comic, you know, and his whole thing about exercise and vitamins, that's his opinion. He won't get vaccinated. Okay. That's his opinion. And uh, as well, as long as his other facts that are being stated on there, a lot of times they're just in line with Associated Press or Reuters, what they're putting out. His thing about why you shouldn't get vaccinated is actually the facts are in New York Times and Bloomberg and all these mainstream sources. If you're a child below a certain age, your immunity is good enough to deal with COVID. It's the old people that were having the main issues with this. Not to downplay that you know certain people out there our age has co- they have comorbidities, but the but on the news it was the body bags are coming out of the nursing homes, and this is the part where I kind of got a little kinky about it. I'm reading about how they did the vaccines and how they didn't include old people in the first studies. Now I don't know if they corrected that later on Pfizer, but the group the the study the experiments or whatever you want to call it. They did. They only included a certain age category. Old people don't make antibodies like they used to, so it fudged their numbers. I guess they wanted a ninety percent of efficacy. In Journal, in Nature magazine, that conspiracy rag, I read about how you know early on how adenoviruses and coronaviruses are nearly impossible to vaccinate towards because they mutate so fast. Otherwise, that's why we'd ha- we would have a cold vaccine by now, right? So all this, what they're dealing with, with it wearing off is predictable based on that. That's not from conspiracy sources and that's not misinformation. That's nature magazine. They used to sell it at shoppers drug mart, you know? So, and then if you watch, I watched Israel, they were the first country to fully vaccinate. Well, after six months, it was wearing off. They wouldn't admit that here. Like it was odd how they did it. They blamed it all on Omicron right about the time it was wearing off. You know, it just it, it it makes it puts your it puts your back up. I'm not vaccinated either. And, you know, it, it seemed to me when I was getting close to it, when they put in that passport thing that got my back up. I'd like to pretend I have a choice. And that's really all you could do at the at the end of the day was make a decision that you feel is best for you. Like I am vaccinated and, and yep. so is my girlfriend. Those were choices that we made based on the way that we want to live our lives and based on the information that we read. And did you do it in the summer or right before they did? We all actually that? waited. We waited. In, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we waited until because uh, we were both working from home. So yeah. there was no rush. We didn't end mm-hmm. up getting fully vaccinated. Well, I say fully vaccinated by like the, the two, not the booster, because um, that came later. But yes. it wasn't until towards the fall that we were fully vaccinated. And I'm not anti-vax. That was the other thing. Oh, you're anti-vax. I got vaccinated I'm not 100% sure, but when I went to England, I'm pretty sure I had to get a hat fax to have the full insurance. Mm-hmm. And I did it no problem. But this blind acceptance of vaccines. And I actually, to be honest, one of the one of my first times seeing a bad vaccine story was with a dog we had. And he was on rabies vaccines and he was getting it annually. He was getting seizures. He didn't have seizures when he was younger. Suddenly he had seizures. And we tried him without the rabies vaccine 
and he stopped having seizures. You know, that's the first time I've seen anything Jenny McCarthy-ish about vaccines. I blindly, completely, 100% trust in them. But there is such thing as like a bad market for a vaccine. They dump, you know, you could probably read about medications and vaccines. They, they're like, it didn't do well. So they just dump it on the pet market or they dump it in Czechoslovakia. You know, I mean, that's the, that's the downside. People want to make billions of dollars off these things. But at the end of the day, they're going to be judged just like a Big Mac, you know, and people with their comparisons to the polio vaccine, he did something smart. He, he gave it, he gave up his pat. So this thing where a lot of the information comes from the company that's making a boatload of cash on it, it goes back to what I was saying about the privatization thing. It shouldn't be that way. It should, there should be a third party completely objective, not bought off. You know, that stuff with the CDC, I trusted them at the beginning because I didn't know much about them. I trusted Fauci. I forget what the, the Walensky is the current one there, but I've caught them in bullshit. This thing with the masks. Do you ever see the guy on TikTok? He puts the mask on. You can see his breath. He's outside. Oh. He has a he has a surgical mask on. Then he puts on two and you can still see his breath. Now, granted, it's not going forward into the person's face that he's talking to. But Fauci is on TV around that time going, oh, well, two is no N95. N95 is the mask that works. But they didn't want to say that because they didn't they wanted to hoard the the mask for the medical community. So it's like, just tell, you know, it's that attitude. It's that elitist attitude. Just tell us peasants some bullshit while we get our shit together with the numbers, you know, our supplies. Why? Well, because we we trusted all our supply to be done by China, who we're picking a fight with now. That whole thing that capitalism is supposed to work that way, that we manufacture and then we're supposed to move on from manufacturing and a country that's junior to us picks up on the manufacturing slack and we're supposed to all be in service jobs. Like there's something lacking in that orthodoxy because uh, like that was the one big fuck up at the beginning was the supply issue. Well, we get all of our supplies from a country we're currently picking a fight with. Like how smart is that? The thing that the thing that blows my mind is the inability to, as you touched upon, uh, admit when you're wrong, like have the humility to just say this is rapidly changing. It's the first time all of us living today, for the most part, have dealt with something like this. And we're going to get it wrong as we go, because there's no there's no perfect way to do this. And the inability to do that creates, in my opinion, the mistrust that we're talking about, right? Did you hear about the Lancet? No. Well, you remember last year, it was a no-no to go against the lab leak, their goal to embrace the lab leak theory. Mm -hmm. It was a wet market. Happens to be a level four lab right there, a kilometer away from the wet market. Don't talk about that because Trump did. Well, part of what shut it all down was a number of renowned scientists signed a letter in the Lancet that said this lab leak theory is nonsense. Don't bother with it. A year goes by, one of the lead signatories, I forget his name, but he's very prestigious. He's the one they go to, New York Times and Washington Post, which all that trickles down to the rest of us. It's Associated Press or Reuters, right? They go to him on anything, right? but they went to him on the lab leak theory. Is it true? Oh, no, it's nonsense. In fact, it's racist to even embrace this. Turns out he had a horse in this race. He had an experiment or he had a number of studies going on in that funded in that very laboratory. Well, the next Lancet came out in 2021. He had to admit to this, that there's a conflict of interest there. You know, so... And suddenly the lab leak theory is 
being taken more seriously by the big people of our lives mm -hmm. that as peasants look up to and wait for our our life information from right so you know it, it's things like that that spawn you know the conspiracy talk and but don't admit to it and part of the reason why is because we live in a partisan environment so they're afraid if they admit to it that's the other stupidity of this is that oh well you must be a republican if you don't wear a mask you know that part of it down in the states and up here too with the the fuck trudeau crowd which, by the way, the fuck Trudeau bumper sticker used to be the fuck Harper bumper sticker. <laughs> they changed the font slightly. Yeah. You know, and so they can't come out and admit to it because of the partisan nature, but also because it's a power thing. They don't want to. They don't have to. Who's holding their feet to the fire? A bunch of truckers pulled up and blared the horn. That's it. The rest of us are going along with it. That's a great segue, actually, into your book which i want oh, yeah, to talk yeah, about yeah, yeah the highway the highway i mean yeah. i i hadn't hadn't even really occurred to me um the the current trucker uh convoy to queen's park uh yeah. when i was reading your your book i mean this is as you said at the beginning this is part of your your growing up this was a big part of your dad's life oh uh, yeah he wasn't really a trucker yeah, they're going to the legislature. Are they at Queen's Park, too? They're probably... I think so. I think so. They're I north of... I mean, sir, they're south of Lethbridge, too, holding up the border. Yeah. No, my dad used to make fun of truckers. He was more of what you call a construction worker. Truckers oh. are the ones that are by themselves their whole lives, going up and down the roads. And he never... He didn't want that. I, I went to a truck driving school. Yes, we drove big trucks, but totally different. Those guys don't really fit in on construction sites, eh? They're very much on their own. Oh, really? Very salty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, so the book, the book, I want to, you know, I started reading this yeah. and it's a, it's a, it's a thin book. It's a quick read. Yeah, um, it's a short story. Yeah, yeah which, which I yeah. like. It's called uh, Going to Wawa with the Old Man. Yeah. And as I'm reading it, uh, first of all, I have to say again, here, here comes some more compliments. Uh, I have to say, man, that you're writing. I love to be able to read something that you wrote because I've heard things that you've written in stand-up yeah. comedy, but to actually read your words is very cool because you've got a really amazing way and an eloquent way of presenting your feelings as well as these stories, which is oh, awesome. Yeah, good. Um, and, and in there I'm starting, cause I I've always wanted uh, to be honest with you. I've always wanted to get inside your head, man. Because I think that uh, I think inside your head, there's some fascinating ideas bouncing around in there that I've only got a glimpse of. And uh, and you're starting to present ideas now about, you know, growing up and your, you know, stories with your dad and stuff like that. So I guess let's start there. Why did you decide that this is something that you you wanted to write and get out there? I wrote that. Well, it was scary that morning. I thought I was going to die. So those are always the best stories to tell. And uh, I was writing before, too. It's a good way of organizing your thoughts. And I have something else, too. I'm looking for a publisher. I have something else that's about 102 pages. It's actually about the first year of comedy in Toronto, like 2003. That would yeah. be an interesting read. Yeah. It's a, little, it's a little dicey, though, because some people are still alive. Some of them are dangerous, and they're still out there. So I've had to change names. Oh, wow. And I know if I promote it just like as me on facebook immediately it'll get back to some of the dangerous people there was someone like tailing me for a bit during that time eh? are you serious yeah there is some well because we were doing some real sketchy places and we we're with some sketchy people 
there was some sketchy stuff going on. So I write about that. That's insane. Yeah, it's interesting stories. And and you know what? Scarborough at night, there was all kinds of stuff though. <laughs> as, you know, that's my hood, man. Right? Did, that's, did that's you ever at that time I was living in Melbourne when that Tyson Riley was going Tyson, Tyson, the Galloway boys? Yeah. He was driving around just shooting anybody that looked like a gangsta. He wasn't killing specific people. While it was going on, people were assuring me, oh, the people executed in the driveway two streets over, they're gang-related deaths, JP. Don't worry. Turns out this guy was just killing any random person that was black and had gangbanger clothes on. They wrote that book, The Galloway Boys. Uh, Betsy Powell, who's the Toronto Star crime writer, she released a book on that. Really, yeah. eh? that would be. I had no idea that existed. Yeah, I, mean, I, I grew book. up right there on, uh, like, it right next showed, to Galloway. It, well, it tells you everything that was going on. I don't know if you remember. Two guys got shot in their car just driving down the road, down Shepherd. See, I was following this in the paper mm-hmm. on the streetcars and everything between open mics. So it was uh, definitely interesting time to be around there. But yeah, no, I a lot of the stuff doesn't fit into the stand-up medium, right? So. I always was, I was going to do this, but it was just a matter of when I was going to do this. Right. Because, you know, and I didn't want to do the whole uh, one man show thing. And I think that stand up is perfect for, you know, who we, you know, like the concept of the peasants. Right. If you're going to listen to a guy drone on and on, he better have something, some trick, something to a laugh kind of every minute there. or so. So I, yeah. And I, I think that this probably, Plus, I was, you know, I've always, I was a big Henry Miller fan and uh, Bukowski. And Miller with his memoirs of what New York City was like to live in in the, in the 1920s is pretty interesting stuff. So I go to Toronto and, you know, live in this crazy life there for that first year. And there was lots of things I couldn't bring on stage. Right before I left uh, for Toronto, see, I had a very, like, I, I studied philosophy at York and, uh, you know, and and. I was, I've always been into like science reading about, you know, reading the magazines or whatever else, just pop science, nothing, nothing major. I never got into the equations. So I had a real solid empirical sense. I didn't believe in supernatural things. And I had a supernatural occurrence right before I left for Toronto that year, there was a ghost in this guy's house and it was happening right in front of me and just shattered my worldview, you know? So there was all kinds of things that was going on around that time. And then, you know, depressing things that you can't bring on stage. And that's good for a book, though. I think that that's the the thing that really interests me about you and the way that you perceive things and how you continue to grow. Because I know that you've struggled. Uh, we've had these conversations in the past about struggles, mental struggles, life struggles. We all go through them. And for the fact that you're still continuing to express your thoughts and ideas in different ways, I think is awesome. Um, but while continuing to open your mind, before we came on here today, we were talking a little bit about, you know, DMT and, and you know, um, knowing how that can mess with perspectives and so forth. And mm-hmm. we were also talking before we came on about parents and, you know, uh, I, I said, I said to you, I don't know my dad, my dad's, my dad's not around. And you had and said, said yeah, you were lucky. Yeah. He said, I was lucky that like, that's a, it's a double-edged sword to have different people in your life. That's what I was getting this conflicting feeling as I'm reading your book. Uh, about your dad uh, yeah well i didn't want to write a k- kissy ass oh my dad my sure. hero. yeah my dad was my hero when i was a kid but he fell from that pedestal you know but i had a very unconventional father he just did not give a shit i remember going to hockey tournaments and he wouldn't even brush his hair he'd be sitting with the other parents and 
you know, and like when you're a kid, that's jarring, eh? But then when you grow up, you realize, oh, that's kind of like like rock stars you look up to. He's not like a rock star; it'd be more like a country star. But you know, th- these are like these are people you kind of look up to. We didn't have a normal family. We didn't have. I noticed on the bus, all the people had short driveways. We had this long country driveway. Like we weren't normal, and you hate it when you're a kid, and then you grow up and you appreciate it, right? But yeah. I, my dad and I working on these construction sites, we'd fight and we should have made a reality series out of it. Cause they were horrible, inappropriate, like what other people call inappropriate. We said inappropriate things. I'd be down in a hole, you know, he'd be with the, he'd be, you know, behind the, behind the backhoe levers and I'd be down in the hole and he'd be shaking the backhoe bucket at my head down in the hole when he's upset about something, you know, we're threatening to kill each other. You know, this was, this was our relationship kind of like frenemies. Right. And, you know, like he never wanted a kid to go into show business, but I, I sold it to him. How? Slowly but surely. Just how, like how I you know, learned how to sell controversial bits to the crowd. You teaspoon it to him, you know, sell it to him. Then eventually, you know, he was out of work. One of the last years he was around and I actually employed him as a door guy at our shows. Really? Yeah. So he, he made some money. That was his job. Was he embracing uh, the comedy and your choices uh, more towards the end? Uh, was he embracing? Yeah, he did. Like, because we came back at that end of that 2003 year and we did a set at the bar that he'd go to. And we got our, we got laughs. I did a five minute. I had my five minute set. Right. We got laughs. There's been a lot of people over the years that have tried to do stand up, but they didn't understand how to do it to go and die deaths in a million open mics somewhere in another town anonymously and come back and do it. They would just go up, you know, cause it's kind of a mind fuck. Well, I'm funny. I could go up and just wing it. They'd go up and they would do horribly, you know, and then you'd never hear about their stand-up comedy dream again to St. Marie. Right. We came back after a year of slugging it out and got our laughs, made a couple bucks. Yeah. I think that he knew that, you know, I wasn't normal. So <laughs> People thought too that I was going to inherit his construction business and all this stuff, but he he ran it into the ground. I mean, you know, the guy ran. One of the things that happened to him was when he was uh, around the time that one would retire. Now he never wanted to. He got in big trouble with Revenue Canada. He was paying my cousins and friends of the family under the table in the winter time for snow plowing while they're collecting their pogey checks. But they weren't living high on the hog. It wasn't like they were getting away with some tax haven uh surplus out of it or something but and they gave him a deal that if he gave up the names and they would go and they would charge them individually then he would have a lesser problem well, he got slapped he wouldn't so he got slapped with a hundred twenty thousand dollar fine wow yeah and that went on top of all his other vehicle payments and whatever else eh? so you know and that was like when i was about 18 and so that 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 formed my opinion of the powers right there you know you come home from school or i came home from my job at the seniors center and it's quick pick a car pick a pick a machine you know pick a backhoe and just drive off with it the canada revenue showing up to confiscate stuff holy shit and you hear about this a lot construction operations lumber operations hiding their equipment from canada revenue really eh? well, that's yeah, why there's... these kpmg reports that came out about all the tax havens that's why i was like shaking my fist a lot of people were they, they go after the little guy, right? Wow. So, yeah, so that my dad used to drink and drive and, you know, bad, you know, like a lot of stuff you see Frank Gallagher do on Shameless. 
But oh, imagine yeah. if Frank Gallagher still managed to run things at the you know go to work the next day. You know, it's the Irish way, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so do you, but, like, you know, sounds... I, I knew my dad warts and all. You know, it was he was a messy guy. It sounds like you definitely inherit and embody some of his attitude, the fearlessness yes. you mentioned. I'm definitely before. a mix of my parents. Yeah, both. Yeah. Of them. How do you think that that served you in comedy so far? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> I don't have much of a career in it. <laughs> I don't know. You know, you, you see, I don't know if you've seen what happened to Matt Billet, you know, in, in the comedy world. The Canadian comedy world is, you know, you got this much to fit into. And in the last few years, they've made it even like this. So I've had like really good shows and had a blast on stage to make a career out of it is, you know, because a lot of it was to be pressured into corporates. And I definitely have, you know, my own thing going on. So, yeah, I think anybody can be fearless, though. You know, it's if you face your fears, they go away eventually. Mm -hmm. Then there's a new set of them to face. But yeah, he was he was a pretty funny guy. My uncles are funny, too. The Nathans are funny people. It sounds uh, it sounds interesting because when I was reading um, Big Paul's story number two about retrieving the bike that was stuck in the uh, quicksand, and yeah. you know, and, ended up and, just being mud. But yeah, it was just mud. Okay, yeah, and couldn't and tell in the dark. Yeah, there's this there's this real fear even when you guys are driving. You, like I mean, there's this real fear that you are personally feeling, and and it really struck me as like some of these instances that you've faced almost feel like probably at the time near-death experiences well yeah when we did that walk in the bush now i could walk in the bush and i had a podcast for a while walking in the bush amazing yeah we we take the comics for walk in the bush at night yeah no it was terrifying yeah it's i think that's why like you know there was it was funny like people in toronto they get that whiff of the country boy on me and there was a fear it's almost like you're crocodile dundee or something in the big city it's because you go through things like this. You get your bike stuck, you know, stupid hour, five, whatever it was. It was like eight o'clock. We go out for a bike ride and it's stuck. Now it's dark. out. You got to walk alone in the dark to come back. And every tree is creaking and, you know, you're 13, 14. Then you do that five more times. You know, like I had a friend that lived far away and I would drive through the bush at night to get to her. You remember when you were 14, 15, you cling to whatever independence you can get. Right. So riding my motorbike to his place and back was a real treat. Well, of course, the chain falls off and I got to get off this thing and there's bears around and, you know, like terrifying. Right. But you go through it. It's not so scary anymore. Yeah, right? I, that, that is. I was scared thing. of my dad then. That was I was that was when I was still scared of the guy. He was like it was like a drill sergeant. And yeah. when I forgot the key. <laughs> yeah, the key. Yeah. It, and that's where and that's where I had literally just left off before I came down here to sign on. It's just him losing his mind uh, about oh, the yeah. key. Right. And, my, and that guy that I was with, there was a story I don't include in there where we dented their we I would take my parents car for a joyride when I was 12 or 13. And uh, we dented it in, the, in a parking lot and they had like a pretty newish Buick, it's like a thirty thousand dollar car. I dented. Wow. We're coming up with all these saved by the bell ideas how to get out of it. Get we'll get AC Slater to bang it into place <laughs> at shop class and all this stuff. Eh? And then I'm like, there's no other way we could just confess. I confess and I look over, my buddy's hiding behind my parents' shed because my dad is freaking out. But like, oh yeah, the inappropriate here's another story to include inappropriate fights. So April and I go over one day to just I forget what we were doing. I think I had to go over there to their place for a chore or something. I forget what it was. 
I go in to find him. The car's running in the driveway. I go in to find him. Can't find him. I look out in the driveway. He's running into the car. He's jumping into the driver's seat. So I run out. What the hell are you doing? I get in the passenger seat in the back. Oh, I'm going to A&W. His thing was because he had horrendous diabetes he never took care of. We were like forbidding A&W. I'm like, you're not going to A&W. Oh, the hell I am. I'm going. Well, I'm not going with you. I open up the door to jump out. He steps on it. So now we're up to 60. I jump out anyways. And the key to jumping out of a moving vehicle is you got to have to like separate yourself from the car so you don't roll under the wheel, right? And then just kind of surf a bit before you flop into the snowbank. And that all happened happened in front of April. Yeah, so that, that, that was, we, we would have these crazy fights. I remember in high school, my friends would come over and we'd have these crazy fights in front of them, like throwing hockey pucks at one another. Then buddies again after. So I don't that was that was how that was that was my relationship with my dad. See, we grew up at a time where parenting was a hell of a lot different than what's perceived, you know, for the most part. Like you can't like I grew up, I, I was hit, you know, like that was that was discipline. It wasn't just let's uh, have a stern talking to with Chris. It was yeah. I don't agree with what Chris is saying. I'm going to fucking beat him with a belt. You know, like that's the way it worked. He would do the belt, but he would build it up. It was almost like WWF wrestling. Oh, the belt was built up so much that he'd come up and just tap you with it. And it felt like fire. Ah! You know, you, you get a little tap because yeah. of all of everything he put into it. But he was copying my grandma. My grandma had the wooden spoon. Oh, that stuff doesn't work. Like, you know, because you got to up the ante. Yeah. That whole thing that Marshall were missing Marshall punishment in these childs. It didn't work. Because it was like the belt stopped working. Then what? We switched to the chainsaw, go Scarface. You know, like how far are we going to take this beating thing? You know, with my grandma was the wooden spoon. But by the time I was thinking, I think it was like seven or eight. She was competing. I had older brothers beating the shit out of me all the time. So she was competing with that. So wooden spoon was quaint to me. She'd wrap your knuckles with it and I'd laugh. But my cousins were afraid of it. You know, but you know. She go, I'm getting the spoon. I just start laughing. I thought it was funny. It's like, what's it gonna do? It doesn't do anything, especially See, if you're smirking in the middle of hitting me with it. You know? Yeah, that's there. There's no winning there. I think the thing that that I take away from those experiences and and something that clearly doesn't work, because I agree with you, is that the variety of different ways that you can approach situations that you don't agree with, whether it's dealing with a child or dealing with an anti-vaxxer or a vaccination person or, or any of those types of things is to be, ha- be able to have a little bit of perspective, you know, be able to mm-hmm. kind of look at things from different points of view and, and see different ways that you can approach that situation. Yeah. Well, it's hard to, cause you don't remember what it was like to be a kid. Of I have course, a really good yeah. memory, but you forget like who you're appealing to and what psychology plus everything now is everybody's scattered. Now the attention spans are scattered. So there's no rest day. I think everybody's exhausted, including kids. Oh, it's not just because of the COVID thing. I think it's the, the switch over to the technology in the last while I've had days where I've said, that's it. I'm going to take a break, get my head together. feel great. Mm -hmm. It's like, and your perspective comes back. Yeah. Yeah, even something JP as simple as putting your phone in another room, that is, it's, it's revolutionary. And you don't yeah. even think, I mean, th- these phones, like the technology that we have now is unbelievable in so many ways. It's so powerful. We don't use it. You know, we don't use it anywhere near the potential that it has, but yeah. 
the attachment to it is so unbelievable because it feeds into those basic instincts that we have, those baser instincts of just getting attached to things and, and needing that constant, you know, reassurance and that constant feeding of the dopamine. And, and it's, it's like gambling all the time. Well, it's like having your friends gathered just like right here. And you, you want all the things you get from gathering with your friends. You want it, but in these like minute specific doses, it's really weird. I actually don't have a phone plan right now. And I've been trying to rebel against the phone thing. My thing is like, we have all these millions of ways of reaching each other. Surprising the phone plan still exists. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like even email now is instant. You can call people on your email if you wish. I think that option's on there. I haven't checked. So like, and I remember it was close because uh, what was it? Skype or uh, one of the chatter or something was close to just giving you a phone plan for like nothing. Remember like mm, maybe 2015, yeah. something like that. So I've been trying to, because uh, Belford was making fun of me. He goes, uh, what's that phone number you gave me? I go, well, he, he goes, it's 80%. It's a landline. I go, come on. I'm at least 98 percentile. <laughs> but even, even these landlines aren't landlines anymore. I want a big beige phone with the dial big dials and i want it hooked into the wall that's my yeah. dream there's only two the ways tone, to go right your the reception's great yeah the, the little earpiece is better i like to actually talk yeah and these phones aren't designed to talk on because i remember when they first came out a friend of a friend he ended up with cancer like right here right so it's like these phones aren't meant to be talked on they're meant to be texted on and that the people that hate talking on the phone have taken over. Oh, I've yeah. always loved talking on the phone. Yeah. See, the uh, the early adoption of the smartphones for me was I was using it as a way to reach out to people, but I don't want to inconvenience anyone. So I'll just shoot a text and they can get back to me whenever they want to. Yeah. And and like that part said, too, yeah. Yeah, you kind of, but but it's it's the the lies that we tell ourselves is hilarious, right? Like you said, our friends are right at our hands, like they're right at our fingertips, but but they're not really when you sit back. No, they're not them, anymore. Right? No. There was a moment maybe like 2006, 2007. Mm. But that's the thing, like technology you know, one of the one of the best books I read last year was uh, Neil Postman's Technocracy, oh, okay. Technopoly, Technopoly. Yeah, that's what it's called. And it's just he's talking about this mindless technology, this mindless fetish fetish we have with technology. Mm -hmm. But it just shifts everything, you know, because like we go when it, when YouTube first came out, I went good. I could put out my comedy tracks on there. But I'm thinking in terms of that year. And I'm thinking in terms of the 20 years before I'm getting Marshall McLuhan esque here with that. But then it shifts everything away. So no one listens to tracks anymore, like a record player, like how I still think. They listen to maybe a snippet and move on. So it shifts everything, you know. So you think of it in an old way. My friends are at my fingertips. And it's still like you still bullshit yourself that it's true. But it's not really. You know, if anything, I think that my friends and I are alienating each other. Because, you know, that whole expression... Uh, Time away from each other makes the heart grow fonder. Mm -hmm. Well, part of the reason for that is that when you have something right there, you imagine if your friend was your neighbor, you look out your window, your kitchen window while you're drinking your coffee, and you can make fun of his flower garden every day, or he does something you don't agree with, but in that mood you're in, it builds into something more toxic. That's what I think Facebook is doing with each other, what mm -hmm. we're doing to each other. And me, I'm an idiot. I'm always on there sharing thoughts. Well, I'm just making myself a target for pettiness, you know, 
you know, but it's stupid on my part because I know better, but yet I still can't help myself. I'm uh, post on the news feed. But my hope with this stuff is that you can do that just to strike up, strike up a conversation. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like share some ideas, share some thoughts, but I, I've definitely come to the conclusion that it's, it's a terrible medium to utilize if you want to have serious conversations, you just can't. I do don't it. think it's, I don't even think it's a technology. I think it's a trendy thing. Mm. They treat Zuckerberg sometimes like he's Alexander Graham Bell, who actually stole his thing too. But, you know, they, they it's email do. with pictures. We were mm. all on MSN Messenger one day. Remember that? Well, yep. we all shifted to Facebook. I think that they're going to shift away from it. They don't want to say that though. Like the PR is powerful to keep us on there because it's a multi billion dollar company traded on the index, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I, I would love to just go back to email, something like that, because I think that that's the part of the dumb part of the we trust in technology. Oh, it's always a good thing. Well, like I said, these little practicalities I just explained there with the being seen all the time, that's not necessarily a good thing. You know, and in terms of show business, I think it makes people's time burn out quicker, too, because they're just always accessible. You read uh, Carlos Castaneda there. Uh, he gets his wisdom from uh i think it's an it's a warrior the guy was a yaki shaman and there's lots of little practical advice in that one of the ones is don't ever be at the same place every day at the same time because that just makes you like deer there's always a wolf that knows that time i like that no the dog it's paraphrasing the dog is like that he knows the exact time when he's supposed to be out for a w i won't even say the word yeah he'll lose his mind so like this thing, we're all on there. Okay. And isn't it weird that we're on there right around the time that they were looking to roll back our civil liberties. We were on there. We're presenting a, a list of friends, associates, business partners, and it's all on file with our pictures and our family backgrounds. And we just blindly trust this, you know, <laughs> like, well, well, of course it's not good. It's not good. I think that the the funny thing that COVID I'm hoping kind of has, has brought to brought to the forefront for people is that doing the same thing over and over again is, is not the path to happiness. In my opinion, you know what I mean? Whether you want to call it the hedonic treadmill or or you want to call it some other philosophy, I think that, you know, the variety is the spice of life. You know, I don't, I don't mean that you have to wake up one morning and decide to do an eight ball or one morning and go and, you know, for a fun run. But I'm saying that, you know, to your point of not being in the same place at the same, at the same time every day, um, get out there and try something new, do something with your life. You've got all this shit that we have at our fingertips. Why would you just do the same thing? Yeah, we still have good lives. We have, I mean, and, and even though we are here in a flicker, man, there's still so much things that we can do in that meantime, we don't know what the hell waits for us on the other side. Right. Yeah. I, I still, I still like life, you know, but it's, you know, if it, it was going to be like this, right. Yeah. Definitely. We're always up to something, you know, and then there's a lot of us and we're all piled on top of each other. Right. Trying to scrape out a little of this and that there's a lot of manipulation going on. This thing, this site came out, you know, with, when the Snowden thing came out, I was more comfortable with them telling me that they're following me. They're spying on Facebook. It's free. To me, that's like, I have it in my mind when they gave us a locker at high school. They told us they could search it at any point. It's not your locker. But this thing where you got to pay a phone plan to have yourself be spied on, that's where I get a, it's a little, 
Oh, that's a fascinating point. Yeah, because but, but we should have known. We should have known. They set this up. There's been no documents released that Zuckerberg is involved with these people, but would it be that much of a shock? He's presenting right around the time they needed it. it was when did it come out? 2006 or something like that. They had MySpace previous to this. A list of associates. Because at that time, they were rolling back liberties like, oh, we could check to see what library books you, you pull out. And we made a big deal of that. I remember the Canadian version of it was they when they were rolling back our civil liberties, they had, remember the Toronto 6 trial? Oh, yes. The guys are going to blow up the CN Tower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was nonsense. Suddenly, they they had a show showpiece trial rated about the time they were going to roll back civil liberties. And the one that's weird was Alan Park pointed this out. He's a lot deeper into this conspiracy than I am conspiracy stuff. But he said, and it was kind of interesting when they wrote, when they did C-51, which is their ability, they gave uh, CSIS and RCMP the ability to break into your house. If they feel that you're, I guess they're going after people that were protesting the oil sector. They could break in and they could plant things in your house or they could break in extrajudicially. That's part of C-51. Part of the reason why I didn't vote for Trudeau. It was, they put that in at about the time that Michael Zihaf Babu there attacked uh, the, the Cenotaph, mm-hmm. remember? And then he charged into the House of Commons mm-hmm. and that guy Vickers shot him. Weird timing, you know, like weird. Yeah, I think that's where conspiracy theories are, have always been intriguing to me, um, is that you you can draw a lot of parallels to some things. Some of them are going to be true. Some of them aren't. But I mean, at the very least, it's going to make you question what exactly is going on. Because I think, I think to me, the, the more hilarious thing is that you have something like a Facebook and it is free, but you don't get something for nothing. And you yeah, have exactly. a tool that literally puts you in touch with everybody across the world and you don't pay for that in cash you're going to pay for that in something else. So your teachers are going to go through your locker. Exactly. So, but, but everyone's reaction when the Snowden thing came out, because it's one thing, and this is why I depart from a lot of conspiracy theories. Do you ever watch the wire? Do you ever get into the wire? No, I don't. One of my favorite characters on HBO series is detective McNulty. He has to have the evidence. So, you know, when Snowden released the documents, it's what we needed. We needed that, right? It, It took someone from inside to do it. But everyone's reaction to it was interesting. Oh, well, I have nothing to hide, right? Well, I think it's part of reason why people do that is because they don't want to turn into a paranoiac. I'm being watched. They don't want to turn into like Henry Hill, the final act of Goodfellas, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's helicopters watching me and I don't blame them. But is that a good thing that we're being watched, right? Like, and that's every, I've had lots of family fights over this at dinner. Oh, I have nothing to worry about because I'm not up to anything. Okay. Just like what Glenn Greenwald says, well, why don't you uh, publicly display your banking info? You know, why is Zuckerberg, who says that privacy is quaint, why is he buying up lots near his estate so he can have more privacy? You know, like, <laughs> like these are these are Glenn Greenwald arguments. But that was the most interesting part because I read 1984 when I was a kid. I was 18. It really shook me to the core. One of the books, that one, Brave New World and Fahrenheit 451, oddly enough. A lot of people wonder why about that one. But one of the things that Orwell says at the beginning of 1984 is the unfortunate 
fortunate thing about humans, it's both fortunate and unfortunate, is we could adapt to anything. Everything becomes hindsight bias. So I, I've spent a lot of time thinking, like, how did Germany turn into Germany in the 30s? You know, because the Germany we grew up to is pretty cool Germany. Yeah, right? very how do powerful. They, how do they end up like that? You know, how did Russia end up like how they did? You know, I was very fascinated by that. Then I started seeing us go that way and it started to get pretty scary. I almost wanted to quit comedy. I don't know why, you know, I stuck to it out of promise, but I felt like what I was doing was pretty shallow compared to what we should be doing to fight this. But what do you do to fight it? Right. I mean, like the only thing I could think of that was healthy because I didn't want to turn into some like, you know, fringy terrorist or something. I don't know what the hell you'd have to be to fully go after it. But I always believed in the microcosm thing is you control your microcosm and you have conversations that you would like to see the rest of the world have and affect the change in your microcosm. That's a 60s sort of approach, right? But mm -hmm. I agree with that approach because to be honest with you, I think in order to really affect the change that some radicals seem to want to, you have to have all the facts. And I think that we both know there's no fucking way that you're going to have all the facts about something before you could proceed forward. Well, these, these, what is it called? Antifa? Mm, Antifa, there's yeah. Not, there's none of these people I'd take a side with. None of them. These people of January 6th, by the way, that it's weird because that's called an insurrection. I grew up, you know, the old man used to get me to read uh, IRA and Finian books about the Irish kicking out the British. Now that those are insurrections. Mm -hmm. They're military campaigns planned by people with you know lack of resources compared to the big motherland. You know, calling that riot is a is is a is an insurrection is odd. There's a lot of odd things about that day though. Mm -hmm. Odd how they were able to get so close and inside the place. Where's security? You know, for a government that spends all that money on defense, those people got into their their legislature building pretty quick. You know, and so there's a lot of weird things, but those are people I would never take a side with. I would never take a side with the Antifa. I don't agree with this whole thing that we got to scream at the racists in our life. Like, I'd never go to a family gathering if that was true. You know what I mean? Like, we're supposed to disown them. Well, that's exactly how someone stays that way is you cut them off from from other information. Here, here's the story of Facebook that shows you, like, how it could be bad. So a guy, a comic friend of mine from out west we got into it because he sees me being somewhat friendly to this racist guy I made friends with on facebook that american guy he's like calls liberals libtards or snowflakes or whatever the hell one of those people but he says racist things on his thing too so kevin mcgrath is giving me shit for this so i kind of we kind of had a nasty phone conversation never talked to him again after that the guy dies mm -hmm. It's stupid. We had a fight over some stupid shit online, but he's taken the stance, you know, like the, the stance at that time was, you know, anybody who has a whiff of Trump on them, you got to run away from. But I've been I've been, you know, following politics pretty heavily for years. Most of the public doesn't, you know, and so I watch people fall for all kinds of people over the years. So this Trump thing wasn't anything really that new to me. What was interesting was how the mainstream press was after him the whole time. That was the interesting part. Because they didn't do that for other bad presidents that I was around for. So, And this thing that you can't talk to the Trump people at all. Well, I would like to influence them. You know, like I want, I need, they need to be talking to other people outside their little echo chamber. I think that that's the key, that breaking up of the echo chamber, right? Like you can have conversations with anybody, 
I don't think you have to continue just for the sake of having a conversation, but if you're running away before you've even engaged in something, it doesn't have to devolve. The conversation doesn't have to devolve into a screaming match or a name calling match, or even I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. Cause it's not going to absorb. Definitely. Yeah. Not. And, and the other, the other thing about the whole politics, following politics, we don't have a lot of choices when we vote. That's the bullshit about it. That's why I haven't voted in the last two. What's interesting was the stats that came out, how many people voted for Obama who voted for Trump? They were making them seem so fanatical, but really it's their lack of choice. Yeah. They didn't want Clinton. Clinton was around for too long. She had too much dirt on her. You know? So, but man, are they going to punish people for not voting her in? And they're still doing it with the Assange case. You see it and, you know, on and on in this, this thing where they're keeping these people in solitary confinement who happened to be there on January 6th, not even people that broke windows or anything, just happened to be there and got caught up in the dragnet. They've had, there's, there's reports of people being in solitary confinement for, for like months, you know, and these are, they were sent there by liberals. That's the crazy part. That's they're not sent there by Republicans who you would expect that from. It's a, it's a really wild time, but I think the thing that I really like is the fact that you're still thinking about this shit and you're still writing about it. And the fact that you're getting back out there in the spring, I love. So I want, I want to wrap up, but I want to wrap up with you telling people what you're going to be up to over the next few months and how people can listen to some of your ideas and how some, how people can take in some of your works. Yeah. Well go to Amazon and get this going to Wawa with the old man, get that first. Hopefully this book I got, I finished the edit. There you go. Nice. <laughs> there you go. Hopefully, I don't know, I find a publisher for this. For this, I guess it's a novella. Okay. It's 102 pages. It's called Jack's Hand Trembling is the title right now. I'm pretty sure that's going to be the title. And then in the uh, in the spring, come May, I should be at the Calgary Comedy Festival is all, if all goes well. And the uh, there's a couple shows in BC and Belford, Scott Belford and... Guess who's coming back to Randy Hughes, ladies Randy and gentlemen. Hughes. Randy Hughes is going to be on these shows. Wow. I'm That's bringing him out. That is yeah. a name. My God. I'm bringing him out. Uh, and we're talking about doing a prairie run from like Dauphin, Manitoba, right to Delta, BC. So uh, if all goes well, I guess I'll have to get vaccinated too. Yeah, you definitely will. <laughs> I'm going to see how long I can keep this going for this not getting it. <laughs> I, I keep me apprised of that. Let me know uh, if and when the day comes that you actually. And I want to say that. though too, I'm not I'm not vaccinated, but I'm not going into any I'm not going to any parties anytime soon, and I'm not getting on an Air Canada flight, so I'm That's not allowed fair. to. But yeah, there. <laughs> I think COVID exists. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, JP, um, this was both uh, entertaining from from a laugh perspective and and an amazing conversation, which is exactly what I expected it to be. So it's my pleasure. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And you know what? We'll have you on again. So that way we can talk to some of these ideas, because uh, I don't know, man, I just want to pluck your brain and and see what's going on in there. Hopefully uh, I got that book to plug. Yeah, definitely. Keep keep me informed. Okay, buddy. All right, buddy. You take care of yourself, man. You too. 